0: Well, this morning for our study, uh, as, you, as you now know, so obviously we're going to look at Psalm 23, and I'll explain myself, uh, because we've been studying First Samuel, we studied half of 1 Samuel chapter 13 uh, last week, and uh, we are taking this slight deviation today from our studies in 1 Samuel, we'll be back there next week, um, though what we're doing isn't quite a deviation maybe, as so much a, a harmonization so, so I'll explain what I mean here. Last week we studied the first half of, uh, of 1 Samuel chapter 13, and in that psalm we began looking at a series of events in the life of Israel, and in particular with regard to King Saul. And in those events we were showing what, what uh, ultimately comes from trusting in idols. Uh, idolatry, remember, broadly defined by the Bible, is is placing our ultimate trust in anything or anyone apart from the living God of life. That's what idolatry is. And in 1 Samuel, we saw how the people of Israel had placed their trust, uh, their ultimate trust, in a, in a king like the nations. And as the Lord speaks to the prophet Samuel about it, he equates it with idolatry. They have exchanged trusting in the Lord as the king who provides for them to actually trusting in this, in this king like the nations. Inevitably, the king becomes Saul. And, and as we saw last time, uh, the idols that we trust in, King Saul as the example in First Samuel 13, they don't ultimately satisfy. Instead, what we have with alternatives to the living God is things that leave us wanting. In Israel's case, they were actually left in a very dangerous position with regard to the Philistine armies. Uh, those things that are contrary to God Himself, leave us in a place of sorrow, uh, removed from life, and instead, just like Israel, we can be surrounded by many, uh, by many dangers and difficulties and discouragements, and these things that are contrary uh, to the life that God promises. And so, and so as we saw in, in, uh, in that chapter, while idols can bring us to a place of despair, because God is who He is, that is not ultimately where we're left. Uh, God Himself is the one who will provide uh, for the people's needs. Saul is a failure as king, so he's going to be removed. But uh, through Samuel, the Lord says that He's going to provide uh, a man after his own heart to lead the people. And we know uh, that that man, uh, in the immediate context, is going to be David. We're going to meet David in the narrative. But ultimately, the one David points forward to is the one who comes and brings us satisfaction. We'll see how David himself fails on multiple fronts at different times. But David, in his kingship, points forward to the eternal kingship, ultimately, of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes. Jesus is the one who we have ultimate hope in. And he proves to be uh, the the anti-idol. If we, can, if we can call him that. Jesus is the one who ultimately doesn't fail us. Jesus is the one who doesn't leave us far from life, but instead he brings us life. And Jesus is the one who ultimately provides uh, for, for our needs. And so as I was thinking about where we left things last time, uh, and, and where we left the text, recounting this this very specific truth about Jesus, which is where we get to. I thought that today we would actually indulge ourselves a little bit, and instead of continuing to move through 1 Samuel, which we'll do next week, we'll just, we'll just uh, let ourselves rest a bit in what is actually provided for us in the fact that Jesus is the one who fulfills our need. Jesus is he's the king we need, like we'll see here. He's the shepherd we need. Jesus is the one who ultimately provides life for us, and and so... You know, just, just as I was thinking about this and, and, uh, and, and deciding on, on this week's sermon, which usually is a very easy decision because we do the next set of verses as our regular program, as I was thinking about this myself, reflecting on First uh, Samuel 13 personally, uh, I found myself drawn, in a sense, back to Psalm 23, just because it's a place where we can go and abide in Christ. It's a place where we can go and see the riches of what's there for us in Jesus, uh, the one who ultimately is, 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 is the bringer of all the good that we need and so that's what we're going to do today that that's uh, what I'll give you by way of explanation I'm reading Psalm 23 Julie read it for us I asked her to from from the ESV just because the language is familiar to us there it's a obviously a very familiar psalm um, maybe the most familiar psalm to us in the English language Uh, but but we'll just work our way through it today and and again like I said the the desire today is just to rest in all that's provided in Christ see him for who he is what's provided in him and find uh, solace in that uh, and so that's what we'll do. Let's, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll begin studying the psalms. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come under your word today, and we ask that we would be refreshed by this refreshing truth. We ask that the reality of who Jesus is would come and, and renew our hearts, that we would be uh, compelled to trust in the significance of the Lord Jesus, the one who ultimately surrounds us with life and grace. Uh, Father, we long to know him more. We long to trust in him more. And we pray that through uh, our study this morning, you would bring about uh, greater rest and greater trust uh, in Jesus in our hearts. We ask this in His name. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 23 begins, and in a sense it, it needs no introduction because we know it, but we'll, 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 we'll do this just as we begin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We all know that line. Let's say it together, shall we? Are you ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the most common psalms in the English language, we hear it uh, read as a matter of comfort by hospital beds. It's a, it's a text that's often chosen for funerals, which is, which is somewhat ironic because it's more of a psalm for living than dying. Uh, but, but it is a psalm that's often chosen for, for funerals. It's a psalm that gives us this robust look at what it really means to trust uh, in, in the Lord as our provider, as our sustainer, as the one who gives us rest. And we see that things begin in the psalm uh, very personally for David, who's the author of the psalm, just as they begin very personally for us. Uh, The the reference there is is to the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's a a way of speaking uh, the covenant name of God. In Hebrew, it's it's Yahweh. It's I Am. Uh, That name very literally means uh, I am what I am or I will be what I will be. It's the name uh, by which the Lord revealed Himself to Moses at the burning bush. Uh, So so this is God's very personal name. It's His covenant name of relationship with His people. And He's revealing Himself as the one who is. He's not contingent on anyone or anything. He's not in need of anything from anyone. He exists entirely uh, in the perfection of His holy and eternal personhood. He is, I am, the the one who is. So David says, I am is my shepherd. I am as my shepherd. And as we walk through the biblical revelation, we see that in time, the revelation and full identity of I am is not something we're left left wondering about or that's left somewhat, somewhat obscure. But the revelation of I am is made clear in the person of Jesus himself. Jesus, God the Son, enters into the created order and reveals I am to us. And and one of the ways, one main way Jesus is revealed, is, is not just in connection to the name I am, which he does take for himself, he calls himself I am, but but not only in connection to I am does the Lord is, is Jesus the revelation of God in that way. Uh, also included in that is the fact that Jesus is referred to as our shepherd. He is the climactic and ultimate shepherd that the scriptures are pointing forward to. So in John chapter 10, for example, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. In Hebrews chapter 13, he's referred to as the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter, Jesus is called the chief shepherd. So, so, So when David begins here and he tells us that I am as my shepherd, I shall not want. We know from our place in history and with the fullness of the scriptures before us, we know the climactic manifestation of revelation of of, of I am who is my shepherd that is found in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd that Psalm 23 is pointing us forward to. And so from our place in, in God's redemptive history, from out of the scriptures that we have, we ought to read the psalm in that way that the divine shepherd that David writes his poem about here is revealed ultimately in the person of Christ. And and, and what's the first thing that we're told about about what it's like to have Jesus as our shepherd here? Well, Well, the first truth, and really we should say the primary and overarching truth about Jesus that we begin with in this psalm is that Jesus is my shepherd and so I shall not want. I won't be in a place of need. So with Jesus as my shepherd, I won't find myself in a place of ultimate despairing need with no hope of provision. After all, sufficient care is, is what a shepherd does, isn't it? They take care of the sheep. We, we know that sheep are notoriously unintelligent creatures which we'll try not to think about too much as we find ourselves in the sheep role in the metaphor of this psalm. But sheep are unintelligent creatures. They're needy. Sheep go in wrong wrong directions all the time. They get themselves turned upside down and stuck. And what do shepherds do? Well, they provide constant and and vigilant, diligent care for the sheep. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. And and you see, it's exactly at this point that this truth directs us in this anti-idol kind of way. It's at this point that alternatives to Jesus are being so soundly countered by what's true about Jesus and His care for us. So, so so, just to put this together, we can try this statement. Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's try that statement with other things that can creep into a first place in our hearts as we, as we go through life. So, so how about with professional advancement as my main thing, I shall not want. That doesn't work. Doesn't work? How about in seeking that perfect circle of relationships? I shall not want. That doesn't work. By aligning myself with the most potent political concerns of the day, I shall not want. No, definitely not. That's just depressing. How about by having my family life look a certain way, I shall not want. Or by embracing what I feel is most right for me, no matter what outside voices say, these kinds of things, then I won't want. Or how about by achieving that next personal goal, I shall not want. No, none of those things work. With Jesus as my shepherd, I shall not want, yes. Yes. Okay, why yes? Why is it yes with Jesus, and no to all these other things that can occupy such important places in our hearts? Why is the answer to to, to my wanting, to my need found in Jesus? Because let's be honest about it, I've known people who say Psalm 23, you've known people who say Psalm 23, who experience horrific cancer, have empty bank accounts, that they're slighted in their workplace and careers, they have family abandoned them, they endure circumstances that are otherwise extremely hazardous and hurtful, and with Jesus they still say, I shall not want why can they do that how can that possibly be the case well the answer to that is is the answer that the rest of this poem provides so let's let's look at these verses start in verse two then first of all if you look at verses two and then into three we can say jesus is my shepherd i shall not want because he is out ahead of me leading me to refreshment he is out ahead of me leading me to refreshment and, and it's this refreshment imagery that, that immediately comes to mind when we read verses 2 and 3 and think about shepherds and sheep, isn't it? He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's, that's lush and nourishing, isn't it? He leaves me beside still waters. It's actually waters of rest uh, there. And in the, in the scriptures, the sea, the tumultuous sea is a metaphor for fear. It's a a scary place. The people of Israel weren't seafaring people. It's a place of fear. But here, in in Psalm 23, we're led to still waters. The shepherd leads his his sheep to waters that are peaceful and resting. So there's there's refreshment there. And that refreshment isn't just found in the the places of nourishment and rest, but it's found in a restoration to paths of life. The the word restores there in verse 3, that's a return word in Hebrew. Actually, throughout the Old Testament, it's a word that's most often translated repent, turning back. It's, it's a word that means to stop going in one direction and turn instead and start going in another. And here the psalmist is saying, Jesus restores my soul. So so if we if if we reflect on this personally for a moment, what's going on? The psalmist is trying to communicate that, that my soul can be going in so many ways which are actually contrary to life, like a sheep wandering off to the deep dark woods or whatever it might be. My soul can go in those ways that are contrary to life. the, The essence of my personhood, that can be pulled far away from the things that ultimately uh, lead to life I, I can I can I can dwell on those things that crowd out trust in God i can I can I can be consumed by by mental and emotional defeat there can be hurts that run deep things i 've done things others have done to me that that, that 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 have space in my heart and start defining who I am and soon i 'm far down this path away from god 's renewing promises instead i 've moved further from the truth of his word and now I find myself in a in a parched place with regard to my soul I find myself malnourished and and languishing and we, know, and we know what it's like to experience those kinds of things, whether it's, it's things we indulge in, uh, whether it's things that are contrary to truth that we can show deference to, that the hurts we harbor, bitterness is cultivated. Those things can go on in our soul and we find ourselves going from, ultimately from, from, from green pastures of rest. Where do we find ourselves? Well, way down in the, in, in the dark woods, in places that are contrary to the peace that God promises. And what does Jesus come and do for us? Well, He actually comes and He restores us. He turns us around from those places and brings us back to these, to these seasons, to these experiences of rest and reprieve and renewal. Which is explained further in the next clause where we read that He leads us in paths of righteousness. This word paths actually describes wagon ruts. That's why it's Plural. It's not like there are a whole bunch of different paths of righteousness. Jesus is our path of righteousness, but, but He leads us in this way that is in every way opposite of death. And that's, what, that's what righteousness is in the Old Testament. It is everything that corresponds to God's way of life, wholeness, flourishing, trust under God, everything contrary to death. That's what, that's what righteousness is. And Jesus comes and turns us from paths of empty hope to positions of, 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 of orientation toward the realities of what God has promised to us, the realities of what God provides for us. Uh, Jesus comes and turns us from paths uh, of destructive indulgences and reorients us in the very core of our being toward an embrace of what really leads to peace. So I wonder even just as we're talking about this, if you can, if you can think about those experiences in your own life where, where we have those seasons where we're really far away from calm waters. We, we know what that's like to be far away from calm waters. We know what it's like to have life seem much more like raging seas or, 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 or the raging rapids of the river than, than the peaceful, quiet waters that are described here. My soul looks for renewal in places that ultimately uh, brings more despair and less life. It's not green pastures. It's parched land. We have those experiences. And I wonder if you can recall times where, where, where Jesus, there he is out in front of you, he pulls you back around and shows you the way of true hope and relief again. And maybe it's through the words of a friend who comes with gospel truth, or maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's an old hymn, lyrics of an old hymn come to mind, or, or a sermon even, or through your own reading of the Bible. But, but Jesus comes as your shepherd and he returns you to these paths of the peaceful way. Maybe He brings you into the company of His people and, and eliminates loneliness in your life. Or maybe He brings you under the sound of His truth and alleviates confusion about the world around us. Or maybe He brings us the softness of heart to trust in Him in fresh ways. And instead of being hard and turned off and running away, we're restored and renewed in looking to Him for our ultimate, uh, for our ultimate hope. And as He does this, you experience these seasons of rest. He brings us back to these pastures. He does these things as our shepherd. And, and you have these experiences historically maybe or, or it may be even just now you feel your need for these kinds of things. These, these seasons come up in our lives. Where where we've maybe been going down paths that don't lead to renewal, but instead lead us far from hope, far from encouragement. Now we're discouraged and we're finding that in the paths we've chosen, we're removed from the way of God, removed from the way of life. And there's a kind of hopelessness that's set in. But Jesus, as our shepherd, he is the one who brings hope. And so our prayer can be something like, Lord Jesus, my soul needs renewal in your paths of life this morning. I need you as the one who's out ahead of me to turn me back around and draw me back to the way of life because I've been walking in ways that are going the exact opposite of that. I've been sitting down in fields that are void of nourishment. I've turned around and I need you to come and give me your rest. We were here last week when we studied uh, chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. Uh, this is the very opposite of what Saul provides for people, uh, the people of Israel. Saul, the idol king, he brings them into a place of tumult. But Jesus here, he doesn't fail. He comes and he brings renewed life. And so this is one of the reasons why the psalmist can say, I shall not want. The psalmist doesn't mean that he'll have everything he ever wants. This isn't a materialist psalm. It means that, first of all, his shepherd leader, the Lord Jesus, is the one who returns us to the direction of life and refreshment. That's what he knows he needs. That's what the good shepherd provides. And he does this. This is the amazing thing. Why does he do this? He does this for his name's sake. Jesus does this sourced in the very character of his own personhood. He's not doing this because while I was doing bad, now I've turned around, I've started climbing the rungs of the ladder, and I'm doing a little better this Thursday than last Thursday. So Jesus swoops in and looks and says, okay, I give you a 75%, I'll I'll give you a little help the rest of the way. That's not why he does it. He doesn't do it based on our performance. He does it based on the very merciful character of who he is, for his name's sake. That's his identity. For his name's sake, he is who he is. And he is the one who brings us back from darkness to life. And so we see this here, that, that Jesus is out in front of us. He's leading us to refreshment. And then, not only that, uh, but I shall not want, because he's also very present with me in times of deep darkness. And that's what we have next. Um, Horatius Bonar, who was a, he was a pastor in the 19th century in Scotland. Uh, he wrote something like 600 hymns. Uh, but he also wrote a book entitled Night of Weeping. And in the beginning of that book, he described certain seasons of life by saying, The way is rough and the desert blast is keen. The way is rough and the desert blast is keen. Uh, in, a, in a similar way, the psalmist here, he, he picks a metaphor up that describes hardship in a unique way. And the metaphor the psalmist picks up is what, is what we have here, is the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, now throughout the scriptures, th- this term, which is, which is really just one word in Hebrew, it literally translates uh, from Hebrew as death valley. This term is used in a figurative way to speak of situations of deep turmoil which overwhelm us with with sorrow and fear and and all of those things as we we go through life. That's why the translators here actually add the word shadow. Uh, because in certain circumstances it's like we're in this, this, this valley that is, that is all opposite of life and there's this dark shadow looming over us as we're traveling through this place. So it's, it's, a, it's a helpful uh, metaphor there. But, but we know even, even as we read our, our, our Old Testament that this is a very heavy word, not least of all because Job is the one who uses it most of all. So Job uses this word more than anybody else in the Old Testament and he speaks of things like death valleys encircle my eyes. We know, we know we get the picture of the gaunt, the worn, the weary look. Right? Job uses the term to talk about great terrors. Job uses the term in the context of his own suffering to describe himself living in a land of gloom and by the gates of death. It's a, it's a figurative word that indicates danger and distress and suffering and all of these kinds of things. And here the psalmist is saying that though I go through that kind of overwhelming darkness and difficulty, With sorrow, fear, all of that. With all of that, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Now, fear, fear is a persistent thing, isn't it? The best definition I've heard for fear explains that fear occurs in our life at the intersection of inability and vulnerability. That's when we start to be afraid. Inability and vulnerability. When I can't do anything, but when something must be done, that's when I become afraid. inability and vulnerability. So so the valley of, of death starts looming there for us, that shadow. Circumstances seem like they'll crush us, they'll carry us away, destroy us, remove all hope from us, these kinds of things enter our lives in this great, big, dark, heavy shadow here. And what does the psalmist say? I will fear no evil. I will not be afraid of any elements that are contrary to life. Why? Because you, my shepherd, are with me. You'll notice the psalmist doesn't say, I will fear no evil because you will take the dark shadow away from me right away. And he doesn't say he will fear no evil because the darkness is is, is removed in this moment and once it's gone I'll feel much better. No, he says I will walk through the darkness because the shepherd is with him. And in the last section, the shepherd was leading him. You remember that. He's out in front leading him. Now the shepherd here, he's very present with him. He's with him. He's beside him. In the deep darkness, the, pre- the shepherd is, is right next to him. So there is this you are with me element that's present in the specific experience of this, of this sheep, of this person as they're going through uh, the darkness that they're facing. And, and you actually notice this presence component just in the shift of language that occurs there in verse 4. Because so far, the psalmist has been talking about the shepherd in the third person. He makes me lie down, which is wonderful. He leads me, he restores me, and so on. He, 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 he. Here things change. The darkness descends, and the language changes to direct address. You, 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 you. You're with me. You and your staff come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You see, the shepherd who leads us to refreshment is also the shepherd who is very personally present with us when the darkness descends. And even the psalmist's language is reflecting that. Now he's not speaking about the shepherd, he's speaking to the shepherd in the valley of the shadow of death. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus. In in the darkness, he is right alongside. He's not up the trail merely waiting for us to get our act together and catch up. No, he's, he's the good shepherd. He's right there with us. He's with his sheep, um, which is something that we have uh, described even by the writer to the Hebrews, don't we? When, when the writer to the Hebrews brings up the fact that Jesus has suffered as we have suffered. He entered our human experience. He knows what it's like to suffer. He can identify with us in our seasons of sorrow. He knows the pain of being human, not just omnisciently because he's God, but he knows the pain experientially because he's come and taken humanity to himself. He's actually experienced in his own life the fullest of darkness as he went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin that he never even committed as he took that upon himself. He knows the very depths of darkness as he embraced the full judgment of God on our behalf. This is the Jesus who knows the valley of the shadow of death, and in darkness, this is the Jesus who's present, and He knows. He's there for the psalmist to directly address. You, 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 you. And it's not its not just that Jesus is with us. It's not just that Jesus is with us in, in a place like this. Now, remember, fear exists in the, in the intersection of inability and vulnerability. It's not just that Jesus is with us, but like a good shepherd in the darkness and all the danger around us, He's armed. His rod and his staff. His rod, which is the shepherd's implement to fight off the wolves. And he has a staff, which is the implement used for pulling sheep out of danger. So the Lord who's present with us when we're going through the darkness is with us to protect us and keep us. That impotency we feel, that inability we feel when those circumstances are present, Jesus is the one who comes into those experiences with the full power of His his personhood at our disposal in order to keep us in His ultimate care. That's who this Jesus is. And His strength is such that He actually makes a table, He sets a feast of provision for us Right in the middle of the darkness. Right in the middle with enemies all around. He he anoints us with oil, he says. That's the dusty traveler's refreshment. That's the sheep's medicine. He anoints us with oil. My cup overflows. We know from Psalm 16 that cup is actually a metaphor for God himself. God himself overflows for me. All I need comes to me, not just because my shepherd is with me, but because in the deepest and even most terrifying darkness, He's there in full power present with me, compelled to protect me. As the psalmist says in another place, He will not abandon my soul to the place of the dead. Maybe because for all that the darkness can bring into our lives, maybe maybe one of the worst effects of darkness is that isolation we can experience. That's where things start to set in and become very, very dangerous for us. Being alone, no one to help, no one to hear, no one to speak to or cry to or call to. Darkness comes to us when, when, when the way is rough and the desert blast is keen, to use Horatius to use Boner's words. But, but for the one who knows Jesus, that darkness is never isolated, unprotected darkness. For the one who's in Christ, the valley, we may, pass, we may pass through those dark seasons, but we do exactly that. We pass through with the promised comfort and the potent defense and the timely provision of Jesus himself. At best, those things that would ultimately destroy us, those enemies that may surround us, those things that would bring us down to ultimate death and ruin, all they can do is look on while we feast on what Jesus provides. So unlike idols, unlike those false sources of hope, which prove so unhelpful so quickly, when true darkness descends, Jesus doesn't get further, he gets closer. He comes armed to protect, he's potent to provide, all of these kinds of things. The darkness may be very dark, but as David says in Psalm 139, what does he say? The darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as a day. And the valley of darkness here, it does last only for a time. We're not crushed in it because Jesus is with us. Though I go what? Though I get lost in the valley of the shadow of death? Though I'm crushed in the valley of the shadow of death? No, though I go through. I pass through the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist isn't ultimately undone by death valley, but instead, because of his good shepherd, he makes it out. So so I wonder, even this morning as we think about this, do you feel the need for Jesus to be uniquely with you right now? Again, this is a psalm for seasons. We can be in a season of life where we're thankful he's out front leading us, and that's wonderful. He's pulling us back around to the way of life. Uh, but, but maybe you just feel that unique need from switching to talking about Jesus to talking to him. You know, he makes me lie down. Wonderful. He leads me in path. He restores all of these kinds of things, and then the darkness settles in. And we need to be able to see, say, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Lord Jesus, I need you to protect me. I need you to comfort me. I need you to prepare a table before me. Be here now, Lord Jesus. And that may be your prayer this morning. Jesus, my good shepherd, is out in front. He's leading me to refreshment. And Jesus, my good shepherd, is right alongside. He's with me through the shadows and the gloom with his full and potent providing presence. And then finally, Jesus, my good shepherd, pursues me. He pursues me. Verse 6. The shepherd is described now in, in character quality terms. So, so uh, goodness, surely goodness, that's the said word in Hebrew. It's the word that speaks of God's loyal and committed love. Oftentimes it's translated as God's steadfast love in our English Bible. So, so God's goodness, His steadfast love, and His mercy, that is His unmerited favor, God's steadfast love and His mercy will follow me, all the days of my life. So so the shepherd who's out front guiding me to places of refreshment, uh, he is the shepherd who's ever present with me in the valleys of darkness. And now the shepherd is one who is following hard behind me, full of loyal love and mercy, moving me toward that eternal rest with God. The word follow there, I think, I can't even remember, this is one of those psalms that you learn in so many different translations over the course of your Christian life. At some point I, I, I learned it, um, you know, he, he's, he's my good shepherd and surely goodness and mercy will follow after me all the days of my life. And that's actually kind of helpful because the word that's here is an aggressive word, it's actually the word for pursue. It's the word that's used throughout the Old Testament when a victorious army pursues the army that they've defeated. It's it's kind of a negative sense there, but here it's used, of course, very positively. It's a potent word where the Lord's goodness and mercy, His steadfast love, His unmerited favor, they're actually chasing after me all the days of my life, ultimately moving me, ultimately compelling me to this place of eternal rest with God. The the word dwell there is is the same restoration word we had back in verse 3. He restores my soul. Verse 3, He restores me to God's presence, to God's house in verse 6. He brings me back there. So so this is the work of the one who cares for us without fail. We go past the green pastures, past the streams, through the dark valleys, all along the Lord is following hard after me, He's following hard after you, pressing us forward in the joy or toward the joy of His eternal presence. So so again, we contrast this, idols, those things contrary to God, they always take, don't they? They always pull away from life. Have have you noticed that? What's contrary to God's good way, alternatives to God, they always leave me wanting, they leave me longing, they leave me unfulfilled, they leave me more empty than before, they leave things uh, purposeless, distant, all of those kinds of things, but not so with the good shepherd. Jesus doesn't leave us wanting. But instead, really, we see how David is ultimately describing things here. Jesus is out in front leading. Jesus is beside, comforting, protecting, all of those things. And he's following behind, pressing us toward our heavenly home. Ultimately, David is communicating the fact that the good shepherd is the one who surrounds us with his care so that our final place is not removed from life, but with the Lord of life forever. So so it brings us to places like like Psalm 125 and you wonder which psalm was written first and who had the idea first and the uh, but, but but the psalmist in Psalm 125 he says as the mountains surround Jerusalem you know the rest of it so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever and that's what David is picturing for us here in this very metaphorical sense. With, with, with all the alternatives that we may be drawn away from the path of life with Jesus, we are actually surrounded by abundant life that's pressing us forward to our eternal rest and home. And if there's any, ever, ever any doubt about that, if there's ever any doubt about the goodness of Jesus in these ways, we check ourselves by thinking of the cross. That's always what we come back to when we wonder at the love of God. Is it present in my life? We must come back to the cross, not least of all because when Jesus climactically defines his good shepherd status in John chapter 10, he says this, I am the good shepherd, and what does the good shepherd do? I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the one who goes all the way to death so that the sins that we've committed so that the contrariness to God that we've demonstrated in our life so that those things that would otherwise come and bring us down to a place not only of judgment but of gloomy darkness those things that would otherwise form us and ultimately destroy us are not there as a weapon or as a, as an opponent to us anymore because Jesus is the one who's ultimately taken the price for our sin upon himself he's gone down into the darkness and because of that we have life forever that's how far our shepherd has gone to protect us in the path of life. He's gone to the cross. The sins I owe, I I won't pay because Jesus has paid for those. And now I am secured forever in the eternal presence of God. That is mine because of Christ, because of what He's done. And so we just end thinking about these things. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Not because of me. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. An amazing statement. Why can I fear no evil? You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, what you provide, you, Lord Jesus, overflow for me. So surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Shall follow hard after me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your power. We praise you that you're the one who knows and that you're the one who's present. We praise you that ultimately uh, you provide all we need. You are the God of living hope. We praise you that we can know you and be renewed in this truth. And even as we consider these things this morning, we ask uh, that you would uniquely draw us to yourself, that you would uniquely bring us to a place of knowing you and resting in your care, Uh, because, O Lord, where else would we go? You're the one with eternal life, and so we trust in you, and we ask that this would be the case for us this morning. Amen.